Welcome back to the Euctropolis Podcast. I'm your host, James Hill. In this episode, we're going to do a question and answer grab bag and tie up a few loose ends. Questions from all across Euctropolis. We're going to cover a lot of ground, so I hope you'll stick around. This week at Euctropolis, there's been so much good discussion, so many good student questions, insights, and conversations. I mean, every week is kind of like that, but especially, it seemed, in the last seven days, there's been a real uptick in the the kinds of uh, interesting conversations that have been going on. It's really difficult for me to choose just one question to focus on, so I'm not going to. I'm going to do a grab bag of questions and answers in this episode, and we'll just see how many we can get through. Do kind of a lightning round of questions from all over Euctropolis, from uh, the Ukulele Way, the Jehui Teacher Certification Program, the Teacher Toolkit. We're just going to see how far and wide we can go here in just one episode. So let's kick things right off with a question from Leonard. He's asking about the difference between uh, felt picks and conventional guitar style picks. He says, what are your thoughts on leather or felt picks for the ukulele? They are much thicker than the one millimeter guitar pick that you recommend. And I personally don't like them, he says, uh, as much as the one millimeter guitar picks. What are your thoughts? Well, this is an interesting question, uh, Leonard. I'm surprised this doesn't come up more often because there was a time back in the day when felt picks were really popular. They were really common for ukulele. The person I think of when I think about felt picks is Lyle Ritz, the amazing trailblazing jazz ukulele pioneer uh, who was also just a really, really nice person. He uh, put out the album How About Uke, a great jazz record on the Verve label in 1958. I mean, talk about being ahead of the curve. If you get a chance to listen, I highly recommend it. And uh, also, Lyle uh, put together a number of uh, books of his arrangements. You can find those online by searching for, you know, Lyle Ritz, Jazz Ukulele. Anyway, Lyle was the one who uh, showed me what a felt pick could do and what it could sound like. It was so mellow. And uh, here I've got my felt pick in my hand and I'm strumming a tenor ukulele and you'll hear this mellowness <laughs> it's slipping out of my hand I'm trying to hold on to it I'm not used to the felt pick do you hear that kind of almost muffled tone right It sounds like you're listening to the ukulele through a half-closed door. <laughs> you know, there's, it's a really beautiful sound, um, but it has that distinctly muffled sound about it. Now, I'm going to play some of the same chords here, now switching to a conventional cellulose, uh, also known as, you know, mother of toilet seat, plastic, uh, run-of-the-mill guitar pick, one millimeter thick, and you get this sound. (laughs) 
You know, those, those are the same chords on the same ukulele. So much brighter. Let me switch. And switch back again to the guitar pick. So you can hear the, the difference, the, the, the brightness that the harder plastic brings. It's almost like the felt pick has sort of a vintage sound to it. Like you're listening to an old 78 record. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. As opposed to the guitar pick, which sounds like maybe a little too modern, like listening to a CD with like crystal clear sound that maybe is a little too clear. You know, there's a case to be made for that when you are strumming and you're trying to get a particular kind of mellow tone. But where they start to really diverge is when you get into melody. So if I try to play a melody um, with the felt pick, it's kind of fuzzy. It, the whole thing feels a little too fuzzy for my liking. Plus, literally, the pick kind of grips the strings and makes it hard to um, it makes it hard to move. It, it's kind of like like walking through snow that's sort of up to your knees. <laughs> you don't want to be playing tennis in snow that's up to your knees. You know. Whereas if I grab the guitar pick, you know, I'm just free as a bird, and I and I can move from one note to the next in a very agile way. So if I'm focusing on melody, especially if I get into tremolo, where I'm playing down and up on a note very quickly to extend the life of the note. I really want, don't want to be doing that with a felt pick. Let me show you what I mean. Here it is with the felt pick. You know how uneven it is? It's because the felt pick is getting caught on the strings, and in any case, it doesn't have the clarity of sound that I get with this one. It just slides so effortlessly over the string. So that's the difference, Leonard, between a felt pick and a standard plastic guitar pick. I hope that helps. All right, let's go to our next question. Next up is Jennifer, and she's asking a question about the snappy C chord. And before we get into the question, what is the snappy C chord? Well, it's the difference between this sound, the conventional C chord that a beginner would learn, and this sound. Hear the difference? How punchy the second one is. As opposed to the run-of-the-mill way that beginners would learn. Plus the snappy C chord, 
can be moved around to give you these kinds of effects, which is kind of cool. So, how do you actually play it? Well, the snappy C is the B flat shape, just moved up two frets toward the sound hole. And presto, it becomes the chord C instead of the chord B flat because we've moved it up by two semitones. So it's just a more advanced way of playing the C chord and not just for no reason. It's not like we're just sitting there going, hey, we want to make life more difficult for ourselves. It's so that we can get that punchy rhythmic quality and so that we can move it around. Very fun to play once you get it, and it sounds great. But as Jennifer says, she says, I find that I struggle with the entire hand moving to the next fret while pushing down the notes of the chord. She's wondering about what the left hand thumb is doing. Is it sliding with the fingers or is it staying in one place like a pivot point? She says, will this sliding the snappy C chord get easier over time? Well, the short answer is yes, it will get easier over time because you're going to practice it and you're going to use this technique. And what seems hard at first is gradually going to become sort of second nature as your body adjusts to these things. It's like the first time I did a downward dog. You know, it's like it was not pretty and I didn't think I would ever stand up again. And now I can sort of do it. Uh, it doesn't bother me so much, but it took like, you know, months. And um, the same is true for all of us when we learn a new physical skill. The body needs to try it, fail, sleep on it, try it again the next day, sleep on it, <laughs> heal, try it again the next day, and just continue that cycle of challenge, feedback, and rest until it adjusts in the myriad microscopic ways that it does, all those muscles adjusting and having the intelligence uh, that comes with time and practice until we're able to do something that we couldn't do before. I mean, yeah, you are going to follow the arc of that learning curve like everyone. There is no shortcut. Everyone has to walk the path. Of course, along the way, it's nice if you can get a few pointers from your teacher. Um, and so let me go back to the question specifically about the left-hand thumb. This is something that we see huge variation in as teachers. When we're looking at left-hand thumb uh, from one student to the next, there can be so many different approaches to the left-hand thumb. Is it riding high on the neck? Is it hidden behind the neck? Is it pointing back toward the tuning pegs? You know, is it opposing the fingertips? There are so many ways to hold the neck of the ukulele. My suggestion is that when you know you're going to be in a place uh, for a little while, like if I'm hanging out in the snappy sea, and I know I just want to do a little dip, well, my thumb is just going to stay put it is going to act as that pivot point. Even when I 
um, reach back to the first fret, more or less my thumb is just staying put at the third fret. If I were to slide everything down and then try to move the thumb lockstep with the fingers, well, I don't know. I just think it's more effort than you need to put in. I think there's the possibility that, you know, you, you can sort of lose your contact point with the ukulele. If you're not using a strap or you're sitting down, you might even drop the instrument. I like maintaining that thumb in place as an anchor point when I'm not going further afield than a couple of frets. It's a whole different thing if I'm making a big shift you know, up the neck, like that. Well, obviously, the thumb's got to come along for the ride, and uh, that's a different proposition. But when we're talking about the snappy C, the very short answer to your question is yes, you can anchor in that one spot and not feel like your thumb has to move um, fret by fret in lockstep with the fingers. So try that and see if it works. Sometimes we just need permission to try things, you know, and you think, oh, well, uh, it's probably bad if I, <laughs> if, if I anchor with the thumb. That's the kind of thing that James probably wouldn't like me to do. So I'm not going to do that. But here I am giving you permission, uh, if you need it, to try that very thing. Keep the thumb in one place. Try not to have a death grip on the instrument. But basically, hang out in that one spot, let the fingers do the walking, and let the thumb be your anchor. Hope that's helpful. Thanks for the question, Jennifer. All right, moving right along, we're going to go to a question from Natalie. This is a little bit more involved. She says, when you look at a melody, how do you determine what the chords are? I'd like to try some of these techniques that I'm learning with music that I use in real life, but the chords aren't included in my sheet music. Okay, this is a really interesting question. Natalie, I assume you're talking about other sheet music that is not ukulele music, for example. If you take some piano music or some music for flute, uh, you know, something that doesn't typically have ukulele chord symbols over top of it, how do you figure out what chords to play? Simple as that. Well, as always, there is a short answer and a long answer to that. And the short answer is, and I'm not trying to sound cynical or sarcastic or smart here, uh, but the short answer is the chords are whatever the composer wrote. And what I mean is sometimes you can't tell except by going back to the source. There are times when your ear will lead you astray and even a good guess will not be right. I like to think that uh, a good ear can get you 80 or 90% of the chords by good guessing. But there's always going to be a little margin of error where the composer did something unpredictable uh, that you just wouldn't have thought of. And there's no way of sort of discerning that from the melody alone. 
So by way of the long answer, let me give you an example, and we'll walk through it together. And uh, I'll show you how most of the time you can guess based on, in this case, I'm just going to look at the melody alone. And then sometimes you're just going to get it wrong, and you have to go back to the sheet music or to the tradition or to the elder whom you learned it from uh, in order to complete the picture. So let's take a melody like... Um, Bring back, bring back, oh, bring back my Bonnie to me, to me. Just that much. My Bonnie lies over the ocean. If I saw that melody on its own, well, it's the beginning of the phrase, and it's giving me the notes C and F. Even just if I play those on the fretboard, I can sort of see if I connect the dots, I can see part of an F chord emerging. That feels right. It's the beginning of the phrase. Yeah, I'm on the home chord. That feels right. Bring back now what here? Bring back. I'm a sucker for the four chord. I really like the four chord. So I'm gonna guess that first for, for this kind of thing. B flat, bring back, oh, bring back my Bonnie to, is really hanging out on the E note. Bring back my Bonnie to me, and then it's resolving back to F. So I'm gonna guess that bring back my Bonnie to, the, the whole point there harmonically, is the dominant chord, to lead me back home. Bring back my Bonnie to me. Okay, so that's my guess based on looking at the melody and looking at the chords that it hints at. You know, this is kind of like uh, looking at harmony with one eye shut because a melody is not going to hit every note in a chord that it wants to spell out. It's going to hint at the harmony that is uh, underpinning it. So you should have, you're lo- looking at the, at the harmony through a peephole Uh, and trying to guess what the whole thing is. But I think we're doing pretty good here. Bring back F chord, then B flat. Bring back, oh, bring back C7, Bonnie, to me, to me. A little ornamental uh, switch between C7 and F there at the end. To me, 5-1. Okay, based on my experience and my knowledge, and my memory, and my intuition, and all of these things, I think I'm doing a pretty good job at guessing what these chords are based on the melody alone. However, I've only got about 90% of it because there was a sort of a phantom chord in there that I missed. And I'm not sure that there's any way of knowing that that phantom chord is there except by knowing that it's there and knowing that that's the traditional way of doing it. And the phantom chord is a G7. You'll hear it. It goes, bring back, oh, bring. Here it is. Back, oh, bring back my Bonnie to me. Did you hear that G7? Back, oh, bring. Now, I wouldn't have thought to do that there. And even though the melody does go to G, bring back, I was perfectly happy to keep that G note going uh, over the B flat chord. Bring back, I thought it was really pretty. You know, 
I probably would have just stayed on B flat in my version. But, you know, it's not always up to me. <laughs> and I can't always discern from the melody alone what these harmonies are. And that's, you know, the unsatisfying answer uh, that I, I want to, I wanted to get across to you. That is, you can figure it out most of the time by trying to connect the dots. And then, you know, 10% of the time, you're going to miss something and you'll have to go back to the source, whether that is a person, a tradition, or a manuscript. Um, you'll probably need to do that from time to time in order to get the full harmonic picture. So that's a big question. And I hope that helps a little bit. Uh, it's a life's work, really, to become a good guesser in harmonic terms, to become somebody who can hear a melody or read a melody and guess accurately what the chords are. It's a process of kind of reverse engineering. There's a bit of uh, alchemy in there. And the people who can do it are really amazing. Uh, and that skill comes in really handy. You can imagine at a jam session how good that skill would be to have. Somebody starts singing a melody and you can kind of guess what you can divine in a sense what the chords are it's a really great skill to have and something that you develop very slowly because it's based on so many factors again your memory your intuition your intellect all working together to guide you in the direction of the quote-unquote right chords jennifer i hope that helps and uh, thanks for the interesting question Okay, I think we've got time for one more here before we hit the the podcast time limit. You know, the amount of time that it takes you to do the dishes or the amount of time that it takes you to drive home from work or dropping your kids off at school. <laughs> you know, that's kind of like the natural length of a podcast, right? Actually, we're going to end in some ways where we started with a question from Leonard Leonard is a very active student, and he's in a number of different courses, and he asks some really good questions. So, <laughs> Leonard, here you go again. Um, Leonard is part of the Jehui Teacher Certification Program. He is becoming a Level 3 Certified Ukulele Teacher. And uh, right now, he's working on an assignment where he has to write three-part vocal harmony for a song. And... Uh, I know that sounds kind of intimidating if you've never done that kind of thing before, but as you learn in level one of the teacher certification program, there is an incredible uh, musical hack that you can use the ukulele to unlock, and it makes writing three-part harmony really actually enjoyable, fun, and uh, surprisingly easy. So uh, Leonard is working on this assignment, and he says, what about the melody part? Once I've written my three-part harmony, what about the melody part that was provided? Is that going to be one of the three parts? I'm a little bit confused. Now, the reason I've zeroed in on this question, um, even though not everyone listening is going to be sitting there, you know, arranging three-part harmony uh, vocals, is because it's a question you're likely to encounter at some point in your musical development and that is, if I write harmony parts, and remember, these don't have to be vocal harmony parts. They can be um, backing parts of any kind, instrumental, backing, um, 
or as we'll see, uh, voices just singing syllables in the background. Anytime you write harmony parts, what happens to the melody? Does the melody count as one of the harmony parts? What if the melody lands on the same note as one of the harmony parts? Should I leave it out? What what gives? You know, how do I treat the melody part once I've added parts around it? Well, in very general terms, I often think of the melody as a diamond. You know, uh, it's the shining, beautiful thing that we all want to hear front and center. And everything else, in some ways, supports the melody. You can think of uh, a diamond in a setting, you know, a diamond in a ring. Uh, It's still the focal point, even though the ring holds it and you really can't show it to its best advantage without the setting, uh, it's still the diamond that's, you know, the star of the show, (laughs) right? And so never lose sight of that when you're arranging. Um, The melody is the star of the show. The melody is the diamond in the setting. Now, keeping that in mind, you really have two options when it comes to dealing with the melody once you've um, added harmony. Number one, you can bring the melody back into the picture, like uh, bringing it back onto the bedding that you've laid uh, with these harmony parts. Or option number two, you can just leave it out. And especially if it's a very well-known melody, something really interesting happens, or at least can happen, and that is the audience, if it's a very well-known melody, or if they've heard it a bunch of times already in the arrangement, the brain, the inner ear of the audience will kind of fill in that missing melody. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, and it's worth experimenting with, sometimes you can leave it out and the audience may not even notice. So those are the two options. And I just happen to have some some examples of this that I'd prepared for a conference that I taught at last year in Ukulele in the Classroom Level 1, which is a free ebook that you can download uh, from uktropolis.com slash classroom. It has the song, Everybody Loves Saturday Night. And this is the song where teachers actually learn how to write these kinds of parts in the Jehui Teacher Certification Program. And I was demonstrating this technique at a, at a conference, and I wanted to have some audio examples because it was an online conference and I knew that my uh, students were going to need to hear this, but that they couldn't sing together. So let me play you a little bit of Everybody Loves Saturday Night. If you don't know the melody, the basic melody goes, Everybody loves Saturday night. Everybody loves Saturday night. Everybody, 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 everybody loves Saturday night. Originally a Nigerian folk song, it's been translated into dozens and dozens of languages. And uh, it's a great two chord song in the key of F, which if you're a teacher, you know those are precious because uh, they're so easy to play and they can get students going right away on something that really sounds like music. Uh, 
So let's take a quick listen to the audio examples that I put together for that conference. Here's what the three-part harmony sounds like. Just the harmony parts. Here we go. Everybody loves Saturday night. Everybody loves Saturday night. Everybody, 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 everybody loves Saturday night. Okay, so, so far so good. We've got three harmony parts that we have created quickly and easily using the techniques that uh, teachers are learning in the Jehui Teacher Certification Program. But now what do we do with the melody? Well, as I said, we've got two options. We can add it back in like this. Everybody loves Saturday night. Everybody loves Saturday night. Everybody, 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 everybody loves Saturday night. Not bad, but if you've done this kind of thing before, you might hear that the melody is occasionally landing on the same note as one of the harmony parts which sounds a little bit funky, and if you don't like it, there's one easy fix, and that is have your harmony singers sing their notes to the syllable loo, like this. Everybody loves Saturday night. Everybody loves Saturday night. Everybody, 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 everybody loves Saturday night. And now, even though we haven't rewritten the parts at all, we don't hear the melody competing so much with the harmony part in behind. So that's a nice little easy workaround. And the final option is to leave the melody out entirely like this. See if you can still sort of imagine the melody happening. Everybody loves Saturday night. Everybody loves Saturday night. Everybody, 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 everybody loves Saturday night. You know, I don't mind that. The last time through, there's no melody at all. Everybody just sings their harmony part joyfully in full voice. Uh, and the audience is engaged in a sense because their inner ear has to fill in what is by now a familiar melody. It creates kind of a negative space, almost like a melodic vacuum. And the, and the audience has to fill that vacuum. I'm not saying this is going to work for every song, um, but it's certainly one approach to managing melody once you've written an arrangement. So there you have it. Either bring it back in and possibly do oohs or loos or ahs in the harmony parts, or just leave it out completely. And those are two ways of approaching this. Leonard, I hope that's helpful. And thank you for another great question. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Uketropolis podcast. Just a quick update about the California ukulele hideaway that I invited you to last week. There are only three spots left. This hideaway is a three-day event. This September, it's in-person ukulele immersion with me and just 30 students learning solo skills and ensemble arrangements. If that sounds like fun to you, then go to musicworldretreats.com. That's musicworldretreats.com and grab one of the last three spots available. Thanks again. And until next week, keep on strumming.